I'm so coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. 
It's time to return all glory unto him. It's time to give him thanks. It's time to give him thanks. Just say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The compassionate father, the merciful father, the faithful father. He is God all by himself. There is none compared to him. He's the one that died for you. He's the one that died for you. He's your friend, your father, your maker. Give him thanks. Give him thanks. Sing a new song unto him this evening. Sing a new song unto him this evening. It's worthy of our praise. It's worthy of our praise. Thank him. Thank him. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about the things that he has not done. It's about him. Giving him glory. Giving him praise. Giving him adoration. He's worthy of our praise. He's God all by himself. There is none like him. Lord, we give you thanks. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. Not the things that you have done. Lord, I give you thanks. I give you praise, Lord. I exalt you, Jesus. I exalt you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give him thanks. Show your heart of gratitude to him. Show him that you are grateful. Show him that you are grateful to him for the gift of life. For the gift of life. Say thank you, Jesus. I have come to give you thanks. I have come to give you praise. I have come to exalt your holy name. Lord, I give you praise. I give you praise, Lord. Lord, we give you him. We give you thanks. Yahweh, Lord, we give you thanks. We exalt you, our Father. The Hell Elion God, the Most High God. I give you praise, Jehovah Nisi, God, our banner. Thank you, Lord. Jehovah Roy, the God that sees so many things. The El Shaddai, the Almighty God, the All-Sufficient God. I don't know about you. I don't know. These are the different names of God in the Bible. I don't know how God has been to you. I want you to begin to say, God, you are Jehovah, my protector. If he has protected you, I just want you to begin to give God that particular name. If he has fought your battle, you can tell him in Jehovah uh, El Warrior or any name uh, that he has been to you. If he has fought your battle, you can call him Jehovah El Warrior or any name it depends on your encounter with him just give him that name just say god jehovah my assurance if that is what god is to you jehovah el assurance i don't know what god is to you just begin to say it jehovah my savior jehovah my lord my provider el shaddai if god has not left you stranded say jehovah my provider Say, God, thank you. Thank you for your mercy, for your faithfulness. If God has healed you, it's Jehovah Rapha to you. Say, God, I thank you, my Jehovah Rapha. God, I thank you, Jehovah Rapha, for healing me. I, I give you praise, Lord. If he, had the all, if he has been the all-sufficient God, the almighty God is Jehovah El Shaddai. Give him thanks. Give him praise. Call his name according to the encounter that you have had with him. Say, Lord, I give you thanks. 
I give you praise, Lord. I have come to just say thank you, Jesus. I have not come to ask for anything. I have just come to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for strength. Oh. I wanted to say to him, let every other name fade away because God, there is only you in this place tonight. You're the center of my attention. You're the center of my focus. I wanted to just worship him tonight. Let every other name fade away. Just lift your hands to Jesus tonight. I wanted to just pay attention to him. I wanted to say something very nice to God. I wanted to say, God, I bring, I come to you tonight, bringing my garments of praise, bringing my worship tonight. I wanted to say to God, I come to you tonight, coming into your presence, showing up, and just, just celebrating you for your goodness, celebrating you for your mercies. Someone lift up your voice and worship him. His presence is here. He's here to deliver. He's here to save. Lord, we worship you. Come on, lift up your voice and worship your God tonight. Lord, we give you praise. Your word. Your word. We bless you. We bow before your throne. We bless your name. Almighty God. We've come to bow before your throne. And we glorify. Your holy name, you are the King of Kings. Jesus, we glorify your holy name for you are the King of Kings. Say we bless your name
Shalom, 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 shalom. Shalom, evening people of God. Shalom, evening church. This I believe you are all doing. lives. By the special grace of God, myself and my family, we are all doing well. God bless you. God bless you. Hallelujah. I want to give God all the praise and the glory for gifting us with such an awesome moment like this, His presence. Hallelujah. And um, by the special grace of God, we started with understanding the book of and we have laid some foundations that we understood that those of you who have forgotten let me do let me do a quick recap to help those of you have forgotten what um, we've been talking about. Hallelujah. So first, um, we, we lay the foundation that there are four main views of the book of Revelation. When you come to Christianity, Whenever people are talking about the book of Revelation, there are four main ways, or let me say four different kinds of groups that have different understanding about the book of Revelation. And we understood, um, if you could remember, we understood that the first um, group, or let me say the first view, is called the idealism view. And they are those who kind of take a lot of ideas from the way things are going um, right now and they try to connect it to the book of Revelation. So they are those kind of people when they see how things are going, they try to connect it to the, the Bible. So they pick ideas from the ongoing um, things in this life and they try to connect it to the scriptures, especially the book of Revelation. They are known as the idealism dimension. Then we have the second view, which is the futurism view. The futurism view um, is a category of people who believe that the entire book of Revelation will be fulfilled in the future. So they believe that everything written in the book of Revelation is yet to happen. And we have a lot of people in our Christendom 
who actually falls in that kind of category. They believe that the book of Revelation is yet to be fulfilled. They see it to be in the future. Hallelujah. Then we have the historicism. The historicism um, believe that the book of Revelation is actually um, an account of the history of humanity. It actually speaks of the account of the history of humanity right from the day God made man even to the end man. And they have a certain point of saying that anything you see in the book of Genesis, you have to definitely see it in the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation depicts the historical background of the human of the human race. So they date back to history and they try to connect all the books of the Bible even to the book of Revelation. And at a certain point, when you look at the book of Genesis, you will see the garden, which is the heavens. You see the tree of life. You will see the serpent. Um, and when you come to the book of Revelation, we see the same garden, it's paradise. We also see um, the tree of life over there. And we also see the dragon, which is the old serpent. So it looks like everything that is in the book of Revelation actually connects to what was written in the book of Genesis. This is the view of historicism. So to them, the book of Revelation is actually dating back to the very moment where God made man and throughout man's walk over the surface of the earth. Hallelujah. That is what the historicism people um, believe. They see the book of Revelation to be the whole story of the human race from the day they were made by God even to their end. That is what they see the book of Revelation to be about. Then we have the preterism. The preterism people I told you that they have been divided into two. We have the partial preterism and full preterism. The partial preterism believe that a portion of the book of Revelation has been fulfilled, but the other portion is yet to be fulfilled. But the full preterism believe that all that has been written in the book of Revelation have been fulfilled. So that is what the preterism people believe. Hallelujah. Two. Now, these are the four main views of the book of Revelation. And we need to understand that whether we like it or yes, um, in one way or the other, you will have one of these views. The more we journey even to the end. Hallelujah. You will definitely have one of these views. Myself, I have my own view, but mine is quite complicated. It is not as clear as you can define it from these views. But still, a greater percentage of one of the views is found in my understanding. Hallelujah. And I don't want to push that into your own mind. But I will explain a few things to you and by the Spirit, you will understand where I'm coming from. Hallelujah. And I also said that the whole book of Revelation can be divided into nine components. The whole book of Revelation can be divided into nine components. We have the first one to be the introduction. 
the introduction. And when we're talking about the introduction, we actually spoke about the date that the book was written. We understood that some people have different date views based on their understanding about the book of Revelation, especially with the preterism view, because they connect because they connect everything because to them the whole book of revelation has been fulfilled and if it has been fulfilled they reconnect everything in the book of revelation to the destruction of jerusalem so whenever you read the book of revelation and the bible speaks of a certain judgment to them that judgment is what happened in ad 70 when god destroyed the whole jerusalem so to them the whole book of Revelation has been fulfilled. Hallelujah. So to them, they would try to have a date of the book of Revelation that is quite um, between the period of AD 60 and AD 70. Hallelujah. But the Futurism people do not believe that. They hold on to the account that the book of Revelation was either written around AD 94 or AD 96 because they are not connecting it to the fall or the destruction of Jerusalem. There are two main views of the date. The one that is between AD 60 and AD 70 and the one that is between AD 94 and AD 96. Are you following? So that was the first thing we talked about the date that the book of Revelation was written. And we also understood that it was written by the revelator known as John when the Holy Ghost began to reveal some of these things to him whilst he was in, um, on the island of Patmos in captivity. That was the period where um, the Lord revealed all these things. To him. We also understood that these things that were revealed to John, they were signified unto him by an angel. They were signified unto John by an angel. So we understood that because it is signified, all the things in the book of Revelation are sign languages. They are symbols and in symbolisms. So they are not really literal. So if you want to understand the book of Revelation in a literal sense, you will miss a lot of things. It is because they were signified unto John. So before you can understand what the book of Revelation is talking about, you have to have an, an understanding in sign languages, in symbols, so that you can really get what Jesus was talking about. Are you following? Then we also understood the angel of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible said Jesus, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servant things which must shortly come to pass and he sent and signified it signified it by his angel unto his servant so this is a revelation of jesus christ that jesus is giving to john to go and tell his servant but the bible said jesus signified it unto john by his angel now we go to understand who the angel of jesus was and we understood that the angel of Jesus actually is the Holy Ghost. I cannot go back into all these things. Hallelujah. We have already 
handle that. So if you are missing anything, you can go back to um, the podcast and download the message. Hallelujah. All right, great. Now, we move to the next phase, which is the second component um, of the book of Revelation, which is the first vision that John the the Revelator had. The first vision that John the Revelator had. And it was the vision of the seven churches. The vision of the seven churches. Hallelujah. So, Jesus told John that what is about to see, he should write it unto the seven churches which are in Asia Minor. And when we speak of Asia Minor, as at that time, when we try to connect it to our time now, it is actually the jurisdiction of Turkey. That is Asia Minor, the jurisdiction of Turkey. Are you following? So don't forget, we will come back to that. And you will see how God did amazing work even in that place. And still right now, as I'm talking to you, Turkey is an Islamic country. What happened to all these seven churches that were within that jurisdiction? That God did amazing things. What happened to them that right now, Turkey, where the seven churches that God actually connects the whole body of Christ to, where? What happened that right now, Turkey is no more a Christian country, but an Islamic nation. There are many things we need to understand, and the Lord is going to grant us grace and understanding in all these things. Hallelujah. All right. So when it comes to the seven churches, um, we started with the first church, which is the Ephesus church. Which is the Ephesus church. Now we understood, I'm just doing a quick recap, but there are many things we just need to understand. So the first vision that John the Revelator saw, he saw Jesus standing in the midst of the seven golden lampstands or candlesticks. And the Bible said, he was holding seven stars in his hands. And Jesus began to speak to John and he said, John said, when he saw Jesus from Revelation chapter 1 verse 17, he said, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have, and have the keys of hell and of death. Verse 19 said, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Verse 20, The mystery of the seven stars which thou saw in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars, and the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sought are the seven churches. Are you following? So now, Jesus is explaining the things that John is seeing to John. He said, John, you saw seven candlesticks and I was in the midst of them. 
Those seven candlesticks are the seven churches that are in Asia Minor. And I'm telling you to write to the angels of those churches. And I made us understand that that word angel them is not like an angel in the spirit realm. Like an angel we all know. No, this word angel there actually is speaking of the messenger of the church or the pastor that is in charge of that church. Are you getting it? So John was supposed to write to that pastor of the, of all the seven churches so that they will know what Jesus is saying about them. Now the first church that Jesus showed John something about is the church of Ephesus. In the book of Revelation chapter 2, the Bible says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Verse 2. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. Verse 3. You have, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Verse 4. But I have this complaint against you. So you see, Jesus saw certain things that he was happy about in the church of Ephesus. But amidst all that, he, he said, the church of Ephesus, they, they, are, they are hardworking. And they have this enduring spirit. And also, they don't tolerate evil people at all. And they have examined certain people who claim to be apostles, and they have discovered that they are lies, and that they were not apostles. And he sat them. But Jesus said there is one thing he has seen about the church of Ephesus that he is against. And he said, You don't love me or each other as you did at first. The King James will say, You have abandoned your first love. So the problem with the church of Ephesus was that they had a love problem, they did not love Jesus. Neither did they love their brethren. Even though they were hardworking. They were fighting against evil people. But they did not love Jesus. Neither did they love themselves. Are you following? And I told you that all the seven churches that are in Asia Minor, they are actually a spiritual representative of all the churches we have in the universe right now. So whether you like it or yes, you will fall into one of these churches. Sometimes it is based on your understanding about the things of God or based on the church you fellowship with currently. Hallelujah. And I told you that one of the clear ways to know that one belongs to a certain church among the seven churches is actually by the yardstick or the measurement of what we call the doctrines of the Nicolaitans. And we explain that, who the Nicolaitans actually were and what actually was their doctrine. Now we understood that connecting these Nicolaitans, we got to know that there was a certain man by name Nicholas 
who was a proselyte. And when we talk about proselyte, we are speaking of somebody who has converted from one religion to a different religion. Are you following? Good. Now we understood that there was a man by name Nicholas. According to the book of Acts chapter 6, there was a man by name Nicholas who was from Antioch. And this man who was from Antioch was a proselyte. He had converted from the religion that was in Antioch to Christianity. And because of that, he had his doctrines from the religion that he had converted from. And he was trying to inculcate that kind of doctrine into Christianity. So that doctrine is called the doctrine of the Nicolaitans because many people believed in Nicholas and they followed him. All the people became Nicolaitans and they followed his doctrine. And I told you that Antioch is one of the greatest empires when it, um, in the Roman Empire. It was one of the province that was very great in the Roman Empire. Are you following? And that is how come I connected you to how the Roman Empire came to being and I explained some few things about how um, a woman gave birth to two sons and she died. And when she died, a certain wolf came to feed them with her breast milk. And these two children were Remus and Romulus. And they grew up and they started the empire of Roma. And that's how come somebody even brought out the AS Roma logo that we all saw a wolf feeding two babies. Are you following? So it means that they got their doctrine even from that place. And what actually they got from that place was what we call Christmas. We understood that. Um, I think that was last month. So one of the doctrines of the Nicolaitans is Christmas. So anybody that celebrates Christmas, any church that celebrates Christmas is actually one of these churches. Hmm. Amen. And I know some of you, when you go to your churches, even the Christmas tree cry is still there. They have not yet taken it. Hey! Hallelujah. May God have mercy on us. We understood how Jesus said he hates the doctrines of the Nicolaitans. And this thing, the Bible said, the Ephesus church also hated. And because of that, Jesus said he was commending them for that. But the complaint that Jesus had against the Ephesus church 
was that they they had abandoned their first love. Are you following? They neither loved Jesus like the way they used to, and they did not love themselves like the way they used to. Are you following? So Jesus was telling them that they should repent from where they are falling, else he will come and take away the alarm stand. So that is what Jesus told to the Ephesian church. Hallelujah. Then, so that's where we got to um, throughout our teaching on the um, understanding the book of Revelation. Hallelujah. So we need to move to the second church. Amen. I hope you have all understood the quick recap. Have we all understood? Beautiful. Good. Now, let's move to the next church according to the scriptures. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 downwards. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 downwards. He said, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last. Who was dead but is now alive? Verse 9. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with the ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whosoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. This is what Jesus told the angel of the church of Smyrna. Now listen. The name Smyrna actually comes from the root word which means meh. And we all know meh. M-Y-R-R. We all know meh to be one of the gifts that the wise men even presented to Jesus. And it is a very expensive perfume that they use for embalming dead bodies so that they will not the, the bodies will not rot. Are you following? 
good. Now, Jesus said, no wonder when Jesus was addressing them from the beginning, listen to what he said. He said, this is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead, but is now alive. Hmm. Somebody said, I heard the pastor preaching at a doom. He said, man is the good. No, 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 no. Man is no good. Even the gifts that they presented to Jesus, they had men, they had gold, and they had frankincense. So if men is good, how come they are giving another gold? Then we Babro, Babro, no nam. You see, now if this is your pastor, who about Bonse? Who about Bonse? That's why we tell people that don't go to any church. Be a keke. Are you listening to me? You need to because these things. Eh, if you don't, the kind of church you are even. Fellowshipping with now shows you where you are. Yes. You following? I'm telling you. And I don't want to go much into that, but by the time we get to um Okay, so you see, a lot of people are giving um, definition what they have found about the mayor. So we need to understand some of these things. Mostly that's what they use for embalming. The first thing is that it prevents the body from stinking. Second, it also prevents it from rotting. And it is very, very expensive. Very, very, very expensive. And it has this beautiful fragrance. You getting it? So we need to, if you want to go into all these things. Maybe one of these days we'll talk about the mystery of the gifts that the people presented to Jesus. I'll show you how they get men, how they get frankincense from trees, and a whole lot of things. You will know that there is a country in Ghana that is so blessed with frankincense. It's called Angola. Very blessed. The baton is the Lord's. May the hand of the Lord touch you right now. May the angel of God minister healing to your body in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. So you see, because 
what the name Smena actually meant is about May, which has a certain purpose on dead things. Jesus addressed them. Have you realized that all the seven churches, there is a way Jesus addressed himself to them. So he will say something like, this message is coming from there. Then he will say something. So we understood that even the church of Ephesus, when Jesus was addressing himself first, he said, this is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. And he told the people, if they do not repent and go back to their first works, what will happen is that he will come and take one the alarm stands from among the seven. Are you getting it? But when it came to the church of Smyrna, he said, this message is from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead and but is now alive. So he's talking about death and life here. And it is actually based on the state of the church that he will give a definition or an address of himself towards the church. Are you following? Now, verse 9, he told the church that, I know about your suffering and your poverty. So now, the church Smyrna was that kind of church in that period that is poor physically when it comes to material wealth. They were very poor. Are you following? When you come to Matthew, so we have a particular church that is quite poor financially, even in our days now. But that financial poverty and the poverty that everybody saw that was on that particular church, Jesus made a certain statement. He said, but you are rich. That means that in the very sight of Jesus, that church was rich, but physically, they were exhibiting poverty in the sight of men. It is to let you know what kind of riches Jesus was speaking about with regards to the church of Smyrna. Are you following? It was one of the poor churches among the seven. And everybody knew about that. But Jesus said, I know your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. Now, they were also the church that were being persecuted. Seriously persecuted. So in theology, they are actually known as the persecuted church. Are you following? Good. Now, Jesus then went further to say, there are certain people who are opposing the church of Smyrna. And those people, they say they are Jews, but they are not. Because 
their synagogue belonged to Satan. So when you read from the King James Version, he says, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of those of them who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Now, what is the synagogue of Satan? What is the synagogue of Satan? The synagogue of Satan actually speaks of what we call anything that provokes God to jealousy. Anything that provokes God to jealousy. What that is what we call idolatry. Are you following? Now, let's read something from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 8. Ezekiel, chapter 8, verse 3 downwards. Ezekiel, chapter 8, verse 3 downwards. The Bible says, and he put forth the form of an hand. Let's read from um, verse 1. Bible says, And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat in mine house, and the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand of the Lord fell there upon me. Now, this is Ezekiel the prophet. And he's prophesying about an experience he had. He said he was sitting in front of his house with the elders of Judah in front of him and immediately the hand of the Lord came upon him. And when the hand of the Lord came upon him, he said, Then I beheld a lo, a likeness as the appearance of fire from the, from the appearance of his lungs even downward. Fire and from his lungs even upward as appearance of brightness as the color of amber. Verse 3. And he put forth the form of an hand and took me by a lock of my head. By lock of my head, and the spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looks towards the north. Don't forget it. To the door of the inner gate that looks towards the north. Where was the seat? Listen to this one. Where was the seat of the image of jealousy which provoked to jealousy? So Ezekiel said, let me read from the NLT. He said, he reached out what seemed to be a hand and took me by the head. Then the Spirit lifted me up into the sky and transported me to Jerusalem in a vision from God. I was taken to the north gate of the inner courtyard of the temple, where there is a large idol that has made the Lord very jealous. Did, did you hear that? 
there was a very big idol that was erected at the loading gate of the temple. And because of that idol, God became jealous. Are you following? Now, we are understanding what the synagogue of Satan is. To, and I told you, the synagogue of Satan simply means whatever provokes God to jealousy. And that is idolatry. Serving other gods. But did you see that? That idol was erected at the northern gate of the temple. Why not? We'll talk about that when I'm handling the matters of... Um, spiritual geography. Amen. So there was a very large idol that was erected at the northern gate of the temple. And this idol made God so jealous. It provoked God to jealousy. Now, according to the king, he said, it was known as the seat of the image of jealousy. The image of jealousy. The seat of the image of jealousy. So the northern gate has become the seat of the image of jealousy because that was where the image of jealousy was erected. That was provoking God to jealousy. Are you following? Are you following? Good. Now, don't miss out. Now, verse 4 and 5. He said, And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there. According to the vision that I saw in the plain. Verse 5. Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up your eyes. Now the way toward the north. So I lifted up my eyes the way toward the north. And behold, northward, at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. Verse 6. The gift of tongues. Verse 6. He said, he said furthermore unto me, Son of man, have you seen what they do? Even the great abomination that the house of Israel commits here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary, but turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abomination. He said, Do you see the detestable sins the people of Israel are committing to drive me from my temple? But come, and you will even you will see even more detestable sins than these. Let's continue. Verse 7 and 8. Hmm. Are you following? We are understanding the synagogue of Satan. He said, Then he brought me to the door of the temple courtyard where I could see a hole in the wall. He said to me, Now, son of man, dig into the hole. So I dug into the you dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and found a hidden doorway 
go in, he said, and see the wicked and detestable sins they are committing in there. So I went in and saw the walls covered with engravings. Covered with engravings of all kinds of crawling animals and detestable creatures. I also saw the various idols worshipped by the people of Israel. Now, this is the temple. The temple of God. Hallelujah. Now, whenever we turn the temple of God into an idolatry state where we begin to worship idols in the temple of God, the place tends to be what we call the synagogue of Satan. Are you following? And that was what was seen in the people that called themselves to be Jews but were not. We'll come back because God, Jesus will make mention of the synagogue of Satan again. So I just want to lay the foundation so that um, when we hit there, you will get the understanding. Are you following? Good. Now, this church of Smyrna, it looks like all that Jesus is saying about them is good. He has not said anything evil about the church of Smyrna right now. In fact, according to, when we read the account of all the seven churches, when read the account of all the seven churches, there were only two churches that Jesus commended. Only two churches that he did not have problems with them. The other churches, he rebuked them. And these two churches that Jesus commended them and did not have any issue about them. One is the church of Smyrna. And the second one is the church of Philadelphia. And these two were known as the glorious church. Are you following? Beautiful. Beautiful. So now, after Jesus said all these things, in the church of Smyrna, he said, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. You will suffer for 10 days. I also told you that the church of Smyrna is also known as the persecuted church. And according to biblical numerology, the number 10, I think I taught this, what does the number 10 symbolize? If you can recall. What does the number 10 symbolize? Yeah.
beautiful. According to biblical numerology, the number 10 stands for order and authority. And it also speaks of totality of something. Are you getting it? So these, these people in the church of Smyrna were going to suffer for 10 days. Now, what Jesus is trying to tell them is that their whole complete life is going to be torment and suffering. But he told them not to be afraid. He said, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. That is because I told you that the name Smena actually speaks of, um, it comes from the word me. I told you how me can preserve a dead body through embalming and make it lively. So if you overcome, he said, if whoever is victorious will, will not be harmed by the second death. Now the question is, what is the second death? You see, it looks like any, any way Jesus addresses himself from the beginning gives us what he will conclude in that church. Are you getting my point? So when he began with the church of Ephesus and said, he was the one that hold the seven stars and walked among the seven golden lampstands. He said, if they do not repent, he will come and take their lampstand. You see, that was the judgment that he was giving to the people. But then he said, the one that will be victorious is going to give that person the tree, the fruit of the tree of life in paradise. Then he's now telling the Smyrna church, he said, he started by saying that this message is from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. So definitely you would have to know that when he is speaking about what he's going to deliver to the victorious ones in the church of Smyrna, he said, he is going to give unto them the crown of life. Exactly. Exactly. The way he introduces himself determines the promises. Exactly. Exactly. Because he knows the works of the church and he knows what he has planned and he knows the church very well. That is how come he introduces himself from that perspective. That is the reason why if Jesus is appearing to some of you in your church, he might appear to Eagles Mountain International in a different form based on how the church is flourishing or being destroyed. But when he appears to a different church, he will appear in a different form. Are you getting the picture here? So we need to take note of that. Don't forget. All right. Now he now said, 
whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. The question is, what is the second death? What is the second death? Now we have understood that the second death, according to the word of God, speaks of when death and hell have been thrown into the lake of fire. Are you, are you getting it? So the experience, what happens in the lake of fire is actually known as the second death. The Bible said in Revelation chapter 20 verse 14, he said, Revelation chapter 20 verse 14, he said, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So the second death speaks of the lake of fire. And he's saying that those who will overcome, what will happen to them is that they will not be harmed by the second death. See, look, this is what the NLT says. He said, then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. I love the way the NLT, NLT Jesus. Who wrote NLT? I'll give you something. But my say fine. That's why Prophet Anna says Akodia loves NLT. In James, no matter what, but but over quite why don't you ask anyone this blue? Fine. So you see, the lake of fire is the second death. But the Bible said, those who will be victorious in the church of Smyrna, that actually should tell you that there are some people in the church of Smyrna who will not be victorious. Are you getting it? So you see, listen, when you look at every church, based on what that church is going through and the way of their victory. I don't know if I'm listening to the point here. So when, it, when we're talking about the church of Ephesus, he said they have left their first love. They no more love Jesus and their brethren as they, were, they, they used to do in the beginning. So Jesus said, they should repent, else he will come and take. If they do not repent, he said he will come and take away the alarm stamp. Then later he said, those who will be victorious. So clearly speaking, who are those who will be victorious? You look at the way Jesus spoke. I want to check you somebody can tell us. Jesus said, you have left your first love. Go back to your first works. Repent. Else I will come and take your lampstand. Then the Bible said, those who will be victorious, he said, you will let them eat of the fruit which is of the tree of life.
exactly those who returned to their first love. And how did they do that? He said, work the first works. There were certain first works they used to do that was a clear manifestation of their first love. So if you work the first works, it means you have gone back to your first love. You are the one who has become victorious. Then you will partake of the fruit which is of the tree of life. Now, he's speaking to the church of Smyrna and he's telling them that some of them will be put in prison and they will suffer for 10 days. And you have understood that the 10 days speaks of total completion of the tribulation. They will go through sufferings. And he said, but if they are faithful even at the point of death, Jesus told them, He said, but if you remain faithful even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Now he later came to say, whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. So now, according to this side, who are those who are going to be victorious? It's so simple. And our confusion has come. I'm taking my time. This one, they wish you understand. Now, with the church of with the church of Smyrna, listen. Good. Those who receive the crown. Who are those who receive the crown? Those who will stand exactly. So you see, at this point in the church of Smyrna, your eternal reward is what we call the crown of life. But you can only receive that crown of life if you remain faithful even at the point of death. This is because there are some of the people in Smyrna, once they are being persecuted, they will say, no, we don't serve any Jesus. We denounce Jesus and they will go scot-free. They will go and cry, Lord Jesus, forgive us that we, we denounce you. Lord, forgive us. You see, they, they could not stand to the point of death. So those people, even though they are, still, they are still Christians and they are still part of the church of Smyrna, but they are not the victorious ones or the overcomers. So in every church, there are overcomers. Are you listening to me? The overcomers are those who would receive that kind of reward. But before you can overcome, there are certain things that will come after you that you need to overcome. Jesus did not get any bad thing to say about the church of Smyrna. Unlike the Ephesus church, who has already neglected their first love. As for the church of Smyrna, everything about their character was intact. Now, Jesus was telling them what they need to do in order to receive their eternal judgment, which is their reward. If you're getting the point gradually, now we will link all these things to the churches that we have. 
One thing I told you about the church of Smyrna was that according to the word of the Lord, Jesus said, naturally they were poor. They were a poor church. But in the sight of Jesus, they are rich. So what actually depicts your riches in the sight of Jesus? No wonder he had nothing to say about that church. Hallelujah. We have many churches who are part, who are actually a clear manifestation of the Smyrna church. Small church that is now growing up. Very poor. No infrastructure, no money, nothing. But in the sight of Jesus, they are very rich. Meanwhile, there are others who see themselves to be rich, plenty money. They can build this, this and that. And still, they are very poor. In the sight of we will come to that church. <laughs> Amen. Beautiful. So now, can I say something here? Jesus is saying something about the Smyrna church and he did not find any problem with them but he said they will be persecuted but in the persecution they should be faithful unto death. If they do that, their eternal reward is a crown of life. But those who can stay faithful to death are known as the overcomers. They are the victorious ones. And Jesus said, apart from the crown of life being given to them, which is their eternal reward. One thing also for sure that they need to take note of is that second death will not harm them. This is to let us know that there are certain people in the Smyrna church that the second death will harm. I don't know if I'm getting the picture here. Because those that the second death will not harm are the ones who have been faithful even at the point of death. They are known as the overcomers. That is to tell you that some people, in fact, Christians, will go through the lake of fire. If you are getting the point, <laughs> Now, listen to this clearly. What does it mean by the statement? The second death will not harm you. It is so simple. I've explained this before. As Christians, when we are passing through the lake of fire, it is actually testing our works. Because you are passing through to come out for your reward. So we all, if, let's say we are all the church of Smyrna people, and we are passing through the lake of fire. Among us are overcomers. They get in it. But when we all pass through, because they were or they are overcomers, they will come out and receive a crown because they will not be harmed. What it means that they will not be harmed is that their works will not be destroyed by the fire. They will come out and their works will be before them. And based on that work, they will receive the crown of life. But those who could not overcome, when they were about to be killed, they ran away. 
when they are passing through the lake of fire, their works in their hands are like paper. Fire will burn it and it will disappear from their hands. So they will come out of the lake of fire with nothing. It means the lake of fire, which is the second death, harmed them. It took away their works. Now they will come out without any reward. Are you following? So can I, can I boldly say, make, make a certain statement right now? The kind of church you belong to determines your eternal reward in heaven. That's why we don't take some of these things for granted. If you are in a church and they celebrate Christmas, it is called the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. There is a reward. A problem will come at the point of eternal judgment when Jesus is rewarding people. Know this thing I've said. This one we have studied it too. I'm not the one saying it. That's the Bible. Can't you see that whenever Jesus makes mention of a particular church, he will give their um, eternal reward, what they are going to receive when they overcome? I'm not the one saying it. It is Jesus because we are his church. Amen. Like the way the place has become quiet. You go to certain churches, they have built images of certain beings. They call them saints. They serve those saints instead of the Lord Jesus. And they are provoking the Lord to jealousy. Is it not the same thing that happened in the book of Ezekiel? That God lifted the spirit of Ezekiel to the temple to see. We are doing it now because it is a particular church and it is manifesting in some of these churches. That is the reason why you, if you are a church, don't you see, don't allow a lot of these doctrines in. Go by what Jesus is saying. Because the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. And we all know when he is coming, he is coming for a church that is without spot and wrinkle. A church that is without spot and wrinkle. Amen. It is actually coming for what we call the glorious church. Once a church is without spots and wrinkles, she is known, known as the glorious church. 
That is the one Jesus is coming for. He's not coming for the church. He's coming for the glorious church. We all will go to heaven. God help us. You let's move to the, the, the next church, else I will spend much more time here. Please, I hope you have all understood up to this point. The gift of tongues. Good. So now when we talk about second death, you understand. When we talk about an overcomer, you understand. The Holy Ghost sent from heaven. Don't forget all these things. In every church, there are overcomers. Once you overcome, you, are, you will become part of the glorious church. Are you listening to me? Good. So the only thing that the church of Smyrna people needed to do just to actually overcome that they were just supposed to be faithful. There are some people, if you go to churches in, in Sokoto, Nigeria, when Boko Haram people enter the church and they pull out their guns, denounce Jesus or I shoot you. There are those who will say, I will never denounce Jesus. Shoot me now. Now, that church is a persecuted church. Exactly as the church of Smyrna. But when this person even becomes faithful with Jesus, even to the point of death, he has overcome. And when he overcomes at that point, he, he, he forms part of the glorious church. Meanwhile, there are others that when they pull the guns towards them, they say, denounce Jesus or I will shoot you. He said, Jesus, meaning me away. I keep saying it. Trimode Christosum na Ghana for some. Trimode Christosum. You let Boko Haram enter Ghana right now and start moving to churches. You will see. The pastor will be Jesus. Will you mean Niba and answer your message? You need to be here. I'm telling you. Because in their minds, they think they are saying that so that the people will go. Then they will go and confess, Lord Jesus, forgive us. I know many of you, that's what you are thinking. Man of God. Hey, man of God, what are you saying? I'm going to shoot you, man of God. Hey, engineer, man of God. You are not an overcomer in the Smyrna church. And because of that, the second death will harm you. It means you will lose your reward, which is the crown of life. The crown of life is given to those who do not care about their lives. They are holding on to Jesus, disregarding their own lives. They are laying down their lives just for Jesus. This is the crown of life. Are you following? Good. Now let's move to the next verse. 
verse 12. Say, write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. We not this sharp two-edged sword. It's a Pergamum. Even just say two edges, said sharp two edges sword. The moment you see the way Jesus is addressing himself to that church, you have to know that there is something that is about to be revealed here. Now, Jesus went further to say, I know now the, the name Pergamum actually comes from the Hebrew, the Greek word, which means a tower or a height. A tower. Or a height. Hmm. Does this sound something in your spirit? A tower. Beautiful. We'll come to that point. Now let's continue with what Jesus said. Verse 13, he said, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. They live in the city where Satan has his throne. What is the throne of Satan? Do you remember the seat of the image of jealousy? Oh, do you remember what we read in Ezekiel 8? The seat. Of the image of jealousy at the northern gate of the temple. Good. That is what we call the throne of Satan or the synagogue of Satan. Now let's continue. That yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me when Antipas or Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. Hey. If Jesus is calling a city Satan's city, good. Now we'll come to, we'll come there. Verse 14, he said, But I have a few complaints against you. There were complaints that Jesus had against the efficient church or the Ephesus. He had neglected their first love. But as for the church of Smyrna, he had no complaints against them. But the church of Pergamos is having a complaint against them. Now let's listen to what Jesus has to say concerning the church of Pergamos. Listen. He said, You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam. <laughs> you tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, listen to this one. You have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Eh? Pergamon. You have first allowed the teaching. 
you have tolerated the people who are teaching the teachings of Balaam. Now we understand what the, the, the error of, of Balaam is. And also, they have some Nicolaitans among them. Now, as he said, repent of your sin. Now, what will, how did Jesus address himself to this church? How did he address himself? He addressed himself to be the one what? The one with the sharp, double-edged sword. Beautiful. Now, listen to what Jesus is saying. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus was fighting against his own church. With the, so you see, that sword that he spoke about, he was going to fight his church with that, if they do not repent. I see the Spirit of the Lord come upon you. Are you following I'm coming to explain some few things about the church of Pergamon for you to understand. I think maybe when I'm done with this one, I'm close. Then we continue, God willing, tomorrow. Amen. Now, listen. He said, Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Verse 17. Anyone with ears who hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious in the church of Pergamon, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. <laughs> And I will give to each one a white stone. And on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Wow. Wow. God have mercy in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus said, I know your works and where you dwell, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holds fast my name has not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful Matthias, who was slain among you, where Satan dwells. Verse 14, but I have a few things against you, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. 
to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. This is the doctrine of Balaam. Now we all know Balaam the prophet. How the word of the Lord said, a king by name Balak came to him and said, the children of Israel are too strong for me. So please, I know you are a prophet that can see far. And I know whatever comes out of your mouth is endorsed. Please, curse them for me. Now, Balaam started cursing, but any moment he started cursing, it turns to a blessing. He tried everything to curse them, but it turned to a blessing. Then, Balaam told Balak, I am trying to curse the people, but it's not working. The only thing that can happen for you to get these people is for them to sin against their God so that they will be naked for you to attack them. And he taught Balak that let the people now sleep with each other. Are you following? So the doctrine of Balaam actually speaks that you are in a church who having sexual intimacy is nothing like it. After all, you know, Oh, you need to explore as a man. You need to in church. So, you know, you're a young man in church, you know, at least so so the doctrine of Balaam. <laughs> hey, and do you know there are churches like that? As I'm talking to you, so God, God, sin is nothing to God. You just you commit sin, you just come and just ask for forgiveness. God, it's nothing. So you enter the church. The drama is sleeping with three ladies in the choir. And it is normal. It goes to the man of God is saying, you know, don't do that again. No. Even if you do that, not any problem, but make sure that don't assist the three more malice. Hey! Somebody said, a man of God once told me he can't marry a lady he hasn't slept with. A man of God. All these people, you see, you have not you have not understood some of these churches. I'm telling you, you you open your mouth as if there are doctrines of devils in certain churches. These things were seen in the church of Pergamon. They have gotten to a certain height where fornication is normal. I'm telling you. And they were eating meals that were sacrificed unto idols. Hallelujah. 
Recently, I just chanced upon a video where a man of God said, you have to test the lady before you marry her. Because when, she, when he got married to the wife, two months later, the wife gave birth. Listen, I think it was just yesterday or today. A man of God, a prophet, sitting on the radio station saying these things. Hallelujah. Yes, some did not like the Nicolaitans' um, teachings, but some also followed. But they all agreed to the doctrine of Balaam. So one church, there are two main ungodly doctrines. The first one is the doctrine of, the, of Balaam, and the second one is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The doctrine of Balaam states that they can fornicate because Balaam gave a doctrine to Balak. If you are able to let the Israelites sleep among themselves, commit fornication, and eat food sacrificed to idols, God will be angry. He will leave them. Then you can attack them. So that doctrine is what is being taught in the Pergamum church. Are you following? So some of them that held the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and have explained the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Hallelujah. Now the Bible said, Jesus said, Repent or else I will come unto you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Hey! Jesus coming to fight against his own church. Why? Because they have engaged themselves in doctrines. This is why in church, doctrine is everything. I'm telling you, doctrine is everything. You don't allow certain things to creep into the church and just create a stumbling block before the people that they cannot know God. Some people became fornicators after they had come to church. When they came to church now, the, the doctrines that were being preached by the pastors made it look like fornicating is so light, it's nothing. And they started engaging themselves in that. They started making, oh, drinking alcoholic drinks. Oh, it's fine, you know, nothing, you know, just little percent. God have mercy. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus said, If that overcome it, I will give him to, I'll give it, I'll give him to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in that stone a new name written, which no man knows. 
except the one that has received it. Now, what is the hidden manna? And what is this white stone? As for the name Jesus revealed, that nobody knows it except the one that will receive that white stone. But we want to understand what that white stone is and what that hidden manna is that those that will overcome in the church of Pergamon are going to receive. Hallelujah. We'll end here and continue God willing tomorrow. Hallelujah. All right, beautiful, beautiful. If you have any other questions. So right now we have handled three churches, three churches, the church of Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, and the church of Pergamos or Pergamon. Hallelujah. So as we are going further, you should take note. Look at your church. Look at your beliefs and get on try and decipher the kind of church that you are part of. <laughs> Look at your belief system. You believe that fornication is so light that it's nothing to God. Remember someone said, oh, as, a, as a man, dear, you know, sleeping with plenty ladies is your birthright. Birthright. This man is a pastor. So you can definitely know that they are part of the church of Pergamon. Now Jesus said, if they don't repent, he will come and fight them with the sword that is from his mouth. May God have mercy on us. If we are in any of these churches that have issues, we pray that God will help us to overcome and join that glorious church. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Alright, if you have any question, you can freely ask. If you have any question, you can ask. Okay, all right. Someone said, please, such a church, should we leave or stay? Oh, Mr. Sampabuabu, flee, flee. Mr. Sampabuabu, don't run or flee. Flee, no, different from run. You say, flee, no. The crown is seven, and I will fed in your house at once. And if you flee, run, they say, oh, father. But flee, no, I'm quite good. I don't know how you do it. But then it's either flee in it. Paul said, Flee youthful last. It's a sorry be my youthful last. I assume to Amawa. That is the doctrine of Balaam. Run away. Are you listening to me? If you are sorry be, so for now, shall see me and some vital parts of your body. He can't see him because so many are there. Sister, run away! 
following. Nice one. All right. Any other question? All right. If there is no other question, the Lord bless us and keep all of us strong in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Please, at exactly 12 a.m. GMT, we are going to meet for the priesthood session of our three days prayers and fasting experience, that season of testimonies. So get ready. God is about to release a miracle into your hands in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to upload the message. So if you want to revisit it, you can go and download it from the podcast. God bless you and keep all of you strong in Jesus' precious might. Please keep sending your pod points, the giftings, so that we can get a silver badge at the end of the month. God bless you and keep all of you strong in Jesus' precious might. Amen. All right, Michael Afari, God bless you. She will hear. God bless you, sir. God bless you. We shall meet at exactly 12 a.m. GMT. Shalom. Bye-bye.
Christ, to me, you know, Russia, this Yeah, now you need me, you
you all and keep you strong. May at exactly 12 a.m. we are going to meet for the priesthood time session to fire prayer. Make sure you join us. God bless you. Shalom. Bye-bye.